the Giants began the season 0-2, while the Saints were 0-3. Both have only lost once since. This Sunday, they go head-to-head at the Superdome. Touchdown! Coverage begins at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. You're listening to Baseline from 538. You're listening to Baseline from 538. You're listening to Baseline from 538. You're listening to Baseline from 548. 538. Damn it! 538. Hi, this is Carl Bialik of 538, and we're at the U.S. Open, and we are recording Baseline. It's a mini podcast. We're going to be doing it Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, each week of the tournament. And it's going to run in the feed for the 538 Sports Podcast, Hot Takedown. Those of you listening in the Grantland Sports feed, be sure to subscribe to Hot Takedown so you don't miss future episodes. Just search 538 in the iTunes store. I'm here with Louisa Thomas from Grantland. Uh, and we're going to talk about today's significant digit. That's a trademark of 538 Podcasts, and this is a special baseline significant digit about tennis and the U.S. Open. Novak Djokovic, number one seed here, he's already won four 6-1 sets, which we call breadsticks in the tennis game. He's had 13 bagels or breadsticks at the majors this year, including against Nadal, Murray, and Vavrinka. What do you make of his dominance so far, and do you think it's fun to watch in addition to impressive? Well, I would say that actually the most extraordinary thing to me about some of those bagels and breadsticks is that they come in the fifth set. So it's not like we're looking at dominance across the board. It's that, you know, he's playing Vavrinka at the Australian Open, and he wins the fifth 6-0, you know, does this against Andy Murray. He does this again and again and again. So much so that I've come to find the routine in the breadstick or bagel Djokovic final set. It's inexorable. Is it fun? It's certainly extraordinary. It's certainly fun to marvel at. Is it fun to watch? It depends on whether or not you like watching Djokovic. Yeah, I think uh, we kind of have two different kinds of Djokovic baked goods. In these early rounds here, he's from the beginning of the match serving them up, and then in the later rounds, guys will play him very even, and then he seems to be able to switch it on. But he didn't in the French Open final against Vavrinka. Uh, he looked like he probably would, and then he lost in four sets. So there are a few moments from this year that make him seem beatable, but very few. I mean, this is the story of tennis right now. It's a story that not a lot of people talk about. Djokovic is having one of the most extraordinary years of his or anyone's career and yet it's not something that people pay attention to. I mean I would say that Roger Federer is more buzzed about right now at the US Open. I would say that Vavrinka's success, even Nadal's decline in such as it is, are bigger stories than what could have been, you know, the rare pursuit for a calendar slam on the men's side. We're very close to that. Yeah, we were that one match against Vavrinka away. I think you're right. Federer's gotten at least as much attention as Djokovic coming into the tournament, and you see RF hats all over the grounds here. You write a lot about the actual game, how people play, how they move their bodies, how they hit the ball. Is there something more literary and aesthetically pleasing about Federer's game than Djokovic's for you and for tennis? Um, I have to say I think the cliché is true. I think that 
the words that Djokovic inspires are not creativity and elegance, even though there is actually something very simple and pleasing about his strokes and certainly something incredibly creative about the way he constructs points. I always think of him as being a very horizontal player, if that makes any sense, you know, partly for the simple reason that he just stretches more than any other player. He slides. He has a way of changing the plane of the court in a way that always feels, even when he's using spin, always feels kind of planar. And there's this way in which he feels very frictionless. Another problem with being frictionless is that it can be a little bit forgettable. You know, it doesn't sort of like stick in your mind. Yeah, and I think one of the paradoxes in tennis is when you watch highlights of the best shots of a match or of the year, they're often a player was in really big trouble and had to do something crazy or went for something low percentage even when he or she didn't have to. And that's great video, but it's often the losing player in the match who did it. And Djokovic can do all those things and does sometimes do them, but what makes him so great, and I think what makes him so compelling in a maybe non-mainstream way, is what you said, the constructing of points, the way he uses his tactics to win points and then builds them over the match. And that's a little harder, I think, to to praise and to appreciate. The irony here is that there are ways in which Djokovic is actually very crazy. And the way in which he has not only constructed his game, you know, in this prime of his career, but also the way he's constructed his personality, the one that he projects on the court and, and, you know, interviews and things like that, which is very controlled. But it cuts against these cracks, you know, when he gets very upset at the crowd, he gets very upset at himself, or he does something very kind of like mischievous, or he does something with a little bit kind of a malevolent glint in his eyes, which you know, is one of the reasons why he is ultimately, to me, one of the more fascinating people on tour. Yeah, I think some people, I think, criticize him. I know some casual fans who call him robotic, and I think you have to have hardly ever watched him to say that. And that's what makes him, to me, so compelling, is that he is able to fight against his very human feelings and impulses that might be counterproductive to winning in order to win and to to do it so consistently. I mean, I think there's something very poignant about him, actually, He so clearly wants to be loved by the crowd, but in order to sort of earn the crowd's admiration and love, he's kind of constructed this very consistent narrative of someone who's like, doesn't really need tennis, is very happy in his life, is a very kind of balanced and zen outlook, and yet, you know, he so clearly and almost achingly wants some of what someone like Federer gets. You're listening to Baseline from 538. We have another fixture of these Baseline podcasts for as long as Serena Williams is a fixture at this U.S. Open. We're going to also talk about a Serena stat each time. She's going for the calendar year Grand Slam, her 22nd career major title. But in her last match, she hit double faults on 15% of her service points. That's today's Serena stat. And if she keeps doing that, maybe in two or three podcasts we'll be talking about the Simona stat of the day because Serena won't be in the tournament anymore. Should we be worried about this? What do you think? She's worried. Her coach is worried. After the match yesterday, which was a tough win, two sets, but very easily could have been three, she was out on the practice court, you know, talking with her coach about the serve in particular, hitting a lot of serves. 
we talk a lot about Serena's serve. The real thing that really sets her apart isn't the 125 mile an hour first serve, it is the second serve. And so if that is breaking down, that's a problem. You know, is there anyone who can beat her? She's shown that she can win from any position, so I'm not going to say yes, but certainly it's it's not, uh, not heartening for her. Well, the last person who did beat her is Belinda Bencich, and she could meet Serena in the quarterfinal. And that was another match when she lost to Bencich that she hit more than 10% double faults on service points. She's done that in more than half her matches going back to the Wimbledon final. What do you see from Bencic? Do you think if they do meet in the quarterfinal, and Bencic would probably have to beat Venus Williams to get there, but if they do meet, do you think Bencic would be a player who could capitalize if Serena has an off-serving day? Certainly Bencic would be going into the match with unusual confidence because she's shown that she can do it. She's done it recently. Serena doesn't like to lose twice in a row. She has a particularly good record of coming back and destroying players who have beaten her before, so it might actually work to Serena's advantage because she knows she'd have to be out for that match. I don't know what kind of physical things are going on with that serve, whether or not she had an elbow problem earlier, whether or not she's having problems with her shoulders, dropping her shoulders or whatever. I mean, to the extent that it's nerves or confidence, I think it would actually help her to play someone who's beat her before. And Benchich had a you know, face match points yesterday. I mean, it's not a sure thing that she's going to beat Venus, although I think if I had to pick, I'd, I'd pick her. And Venus has beaten Serena quite, quite that often. That is true. Not. I mean, that would, be, that would be quite an extraordinary match. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned Benchich did save match points. We've had a, quite a few high-seeded women's players who have not. There's only Serena and three other top ten seeds left in the draw, and here we are not even fully into the third round. And none of those other three top ten seeds are even in Serena's half of the draw. So she won't have to face any of them before at least the final. Does that matter? Does that give her a better shot at, at pulling off this great feat? You know, it's interesting. I think the women's tour is in a really kind of unusual moment right now. There was a great piece by you and, and Ben Morris that looked at the quality of competition. I might argue that the fact that there isn't consistency among the seeds doesn't mean that they're not any good. I think that it's a pretty egalitarian tour right now um, and that we're in a time of a lot of transition, not just between eras, but there are players coming up playing different kind of styles and the turmoil actually could reflect something really positive in the game and not something just chaotic, which is what I might have said, you know, in 2009, let's say, when the tour seemed much weaker to me. In that article, I think one thing that we kind of philosophically struggle with is yeah, maybe everyone is just better, but then that means Serena Williams is amazingly good right now <laughs> because she's not losing randomly in the second round of slams or any tournaments, That's which she used true. to do more often. So, But she's losing be. two sets a lot more. Yes. So, I mean, they're pushing her to a degree that we're not accustomed to seeing maybe from a player as dominant as she is. Yeah. And she has no margin for error in these matches relative yeah. to the men. I mean, if she pulls this off, She's doing it in best of three sets. She loses a set. She yeah. can't lose another one. So I mean, you've seen how close often players come. I mean, we, Heather Watson being the obvious example, being three points away from toppling her at Wimbledon. But the fun thing about Serena right now, I think, actually, is that she's winning all kinds of matches. You know, she's going out against Victoria Azarenka, who's playing out of her mind and, you know, winning that match. You know, and she's pulling off three-set matches to players who most people have never heard of. But 
to me, this actually doesn't speak to a problem for the women's game. To me, it's actually, I'm excited. I mean, I think it's, it's good times. Yeah, and I, you know, you wrote uh, lead up to the tournament about Steffi Graf in the last calendar year Grand Slam, and you you led off with the closest call she had. And if you were writing that piece in 20 years about Serena Williams, if she pulls it off this year, you could choose from lots of options, even if she breezes through the rest of the U.S. Open. And it's weird to say because I think we both probably think she'll do it, but also probably think she's going to have some trouble along the way. Is that yeah, fair? Absolutely. And that's like Djokovic makes her more interesting when she is fighting through a lot of challenges. There are different ways to be dominant. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining, Louisa, on the first baseline. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back on Saturday with another conversation. In the meantime, be sure to check out Louise's article on Grantland, Ben Morris's and mine on 538, and continuing coverage of the U.S. Open. And subscribe to Hot Takedown so you don't miss an episode. You can email us at podcasts at 538.com with any comments or suggestions. Thanks a lot.